I want to just say uh, thank you, Madison, for your involvement this month in our series and really appreciate it very much. <clears throat> um, Madison um, does not just talk about um, believing in the church. He lives it. And he's busier than all of us combined. And, and I, my brother, that really blesses me, and I appreciate that so much. We are <clears throat> wrapping up our series, um, and, and I'm going to title this message, No Turning Back. Jumping in right at Exodus chapter 17, and I want to read a story for you. And we don't always get um, a story quite as well compacted um, as we do this particular story. But starting in verse 8 in Exodus 17, it says, The Amalekites came and attacked the Israelites at Rephidim. Moses said to Joshua, Choose some of our men and go out to fight the Amalekites. Tomorrow I will stand on top of the hill with the staff of God in my hands. So Joshua fought the Amalekites as Moses had ordered. And Moses, Aaron, and Hur went to the top of the hill. As long as Moses held up his hands, the Israelites were winning. But whenever he lowered his hands, the Amalekites were winning. When Moses' hands grew tired, they took a stone and put it under him and sat on it. Aaron and Hur held up his hands, one on one side, one on the other, so that his hands remained steady until sunset. So Joshua overcame the Amalekite army with the sword. When the Lord said to Mo then the Lord said to Moses, "Write this on a scroll as something to be remembered, and make sure that Joshua hears about it, because I will completely blot out the name of Amalek from under heaven." I want to um, focus on four different things this morning <clears throat> that we wind up going through on the way to getting to a place where we're, we're saying, I'm not going to turn back. And the first thing is this search for Rephidim. And um, this, this, this word Rephidim, this location, um, the, the meaning of the word, and I want to give you that meaning, it means the place of rest. Um, Let's look for a second at what Israel has just been through. They have this emotional high from being set free, delivered from slavery, okay? Now, <clears throat> different than, than the process that has taken place here in our country, these people walked out of a nation, okay? They literally left Egypt, and they went, and they were on their way to a country of their own the name of which would be determined. You know, God was going to give that to them, but, but they did not possess that yet. But they left Egypt. They were on this emotional high. They're being led uh, during the day by a pillar of cloud. They're being led at night by a pillar of fire. In fact, that pillar of fire and cloud was, was there between Pharaoh's army and the Red Sea. And so uh, Pharaoh comes after them and he's bearing down on them and it is the pillar of God that is protecting them. And then Moses stands at the Red Sea and God says, stretch out your, your staff and he does. And the, the Red Sea parts and three million 
Hebrews walk through on dry ground. And then after they're all the way through, the pillar uh, of fire um, is no longer there. And Pharaoh's army say, hey, we can get through this. We can, we can go get these guys. And they got into the middle of it. And the Red Sea closes in around them and drowns them. What an incredible uh, high that they must have been on. And then just a few days later, they're there in the desert and God provides manna for them to eat. Basically, it's, it's, it's a, a type of, uh, of bread. It's, it's, um, it's something that they can grind and, and turn into flour and, and they can use it in their diet. And it was something that God provided for 40 years. And the day they crossed over the Jordan, that, uh, that manna was no longer there. So 40 years God fed them with manna. Um, they are 41 to 42 days um, from leaving the land of Goshen where they lived in Egypt. That's how long it took them to get to this place called Rephidim, this place called the resting place. And <clears throat> this uh, place called Rephidim is about 400 miles from Goshen. So, so just this gives us a sense of the timetable here. We're talking about a month and a half since the final of the 10 plagues. It's a month and a half since walking out of Egypt. They've been averaging, on average, 10 miles a day in that 400 miles. Um, there's no doubt in my mind that they were physically exhausted just because of the sheer volume of experiences. I'm sure emotionally they were spent. Physically they were very tired from 45 day, 41, 42 days of travel. Um, and they are anticipating getting to this place. And if, if there was a place that you and I could go um, called the resting place, you know, we would like, we would like to be there, you know. Um, we, we, sometimes we think of that as, as vacation land, okay? That's the place of rest. And so we count down the months, you know, we book, we book our flights or, you know, we, we, oh, the, my favorite is booking a cruise. You know, you book a cruise and you're just like, okay, two more months, you know, six more weeks, four more, oh, three more, honey, two more weeks, and we're leaving, and, 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 oh, we get, it's just you and me, and we leave the kids behind, it's so fantastic, and, you know, oh, five more days, we count it down, why? Because we're anticipating this being a place of rest, and that's how they were feeling as they were approaching Rephidim, and though even the, the reputation of this place, it's that it was a well-watered place. It was the most fertile place in the entire uh, Sinai Peninsula. Uh, one author said that there were palm groves just up and down the valley. And so these people are envisioning getting to a place where the sun is no longer beating down on their heads and there's water for them to dip their feet in and fresh water to drink. And, and maybe, you know, may, maybe there's, you know, bananas or maybe there's coconuts. I don't, but there's got to be something. There's got to be a place where, where we're really going to be able to enjoy this and rest and just, just sort of refresh ourselves, but then they get there and they discover that there's no water. And their response is twofold. The first part of it is, all right, let's go back. Let's forget this. Let's just go back. I know we've just walked 400 miles, but let's go back. 
In fact, they said, where's that Moses character that convinced us to, to go with him? Let's bring him out here and we're going to pick up rocks and we're going to chuck them at his head until we kill him because we're so mad that he has convinced us to come out here. And, and there, there was this, this miraculous moment where God tells Moses, I want you to go and I want you to, to take your staff and I want you to hit a rock and I'm going to bring water out of that rock. And, and the water comes out of the rock. Imagine the recovery rate on that, that well, what that had to, in order to give water to 3 million people plus flocks and herds, that had to be an instantaneous river, okay? And, and there was this moment where they just took a breath and they just said, ah, it's, oh, this is great. This is wonderful. This feels so restful. But you know, as we look for a Rephidim in our lives, one thing that we have to understand is that Rephidim is not a destination. Rephidim is not somewhere in Scandia, okay? It's not a destination. Rephidim is, is actually a person. In Matthew 11, Jesus said, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Jesus is our Rephidim. And when we get to Jesus, we're not going to find out. I just thought of this. We're not going to find out that there's no more water. What did Jesus say to the woman at the well? I, Madison, I never thought of this. What did he say to the, the woman at the well? Hey, listen, I'll bring you, I'll, I'll give you water. You'll never thirst again. You'll never have to come to this well ever again. Jesus is our Rephidim. He's the place where we find rest and refreshing. And, and Israel, was they were looking for it. They were longing for it. So number two is we're going to go through times when we're under attack. In fact, we've been talking about that all month, okay? Whether it's our health, whether it's our spouse, whether it's our kids, whether it's our, our, our extended family, whether it's our health, our finances, whatever it is, we're, we're, our lives are under attack. We're going to be under attack. Rephidim was 17 days from the Red Sea. You know, we read this and, we, and we, it doesn't say it, but, but through, through Scripture, um, scholars, you know, they plot this stuff out and they're, they're, they, um, they say that there's 17 days in between. Now, when my wife and I, when we, when we walk, okay, if, we, if we're going from the car to the store or into a restaurant or from the, the restaurant back into the car, um, or if we're in a mall, I, I love to hold my wife's hand. In fact, I, whenever we're getting out of the car, I look for my wife. I, I just, you know, I want to grab her by the hand or offer her my arm or something like that. And inevitably, this is what I hear. And in tr truth be told, last night I was surprised I didn't hear this, but I always hear her say, Kevin, slow down. You're walking too fast. I just want you to know that these legs are faster than at least one person in the world, okay? And, um, and uh, so I, I'm, I'm happy about that. But not everybody walks the same speed. Israel has just walked 400 miles. There's 3 million people. I do not say this in jest. They are suffering from PTSD, undoubtedly because of everything that they've been through. And, and, and I, that's, I am not trying to uh, 
make it sound like PTSD is not a big deal. It's a very big deal. I just believe that's what they were suffering with by the time they got there. They were in search of rest. They're strung out because they've been walking now for 17 days since coming through the Red Sea, uh, averaging 10 miles a day. You've got the fast walkers up front, okay? So I'm, I'm going to be toward the front of the group, okay? That's just me. Uh, let's do it. But then you're going to have the, the people like my wife. I, hey, I don't want to walk that fast. And she's going to be yelling at me to slow down. But then you've got people that have babies, okay? And they're, they're not going the same speed, okay? We can't forget that there are sheep and goats, and, and those animals have young as well, so there's certain speeds that they can travel at. Then you have those that are sick, and then you have those that, that are older. So you have, you have, they're strung, they're, they're all strung out, right? And so your, your fast people are up front. And Deuteronomy 25 tells us what happened as they were coming to Rephidim. And I want to read that for you because it's so unique that, that the story that we're reading is from Exodus, but yet Deuteronomy tells exactly what happened. Deuteronomy 25, verse 17, Remember what the Amalekites did to you along the way when you came out of Egypt. When you were weary and worn out, they met you on your journey and attacked all who were lagging behind. They had no fear of God. So the Amalekites attacked the sick and the elderly and, and maybe those with young children, those who were the most vulnerable, that's who the Amalekites came and they attacked. Now, we got to learn something too, that uh, the, uh, the Amalekites came from a man named Amalek. And Amalek is the illegitimate grandson of Esau. And when we read in the scripture about God early on, we read that God is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Jacob and Esau are twins. Esau is the, the hairy hunter of the two. And, and the Bible says that, that Esau would be a man who lived by the sword. And I don't think it's just that he was a violent person. I think it was that he amassed to himself. And we read about this when Jacob and Esau met later in life, that Esau had a force of 400 men that were traveling with him. He was a man of war. And so uh, his grandson and, and those that, that were gathered to them as a nation, the Amalekites, they were a warring kind of people. And so they came and they attacked Israel as they were, they had already come out of the Red Sea, they were on their way to Rephidim. Now, technically, this is family attacking family. Because you have the descendants of Jacob and the, the descendants of Esau, and Esau's descendants are attacking Jacob's descendants. Sometimes when the enemy is attacking you in your life, you will literally say to yourself, it's, it's literally like family attacking family here. This is crazy. This does not make sense to me. Why would this ever happen? But that's exactly what was happening to Israel at this time. In the military, it's called friendly fire. But in the military, it's accidental. But in this situation, in Exodus 17, 
uh, the Amalekites were intentionally doing this. You know, they were targeting the, the old, the young, the sick, and the vulnerable. And it was just when they were getting to the place of rest. You say, man, that's not fair. The Bible says that the thief, in other words, Satan, comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And he will do it uh, to you and to me at the, the point of our greatest weakness. He will attack us. And it's not fair. But he, he does so. He knows what he's doing. And he has targeted us. Uh, in Isaiah chapter 54, verse 17, it says, No weapon forged against you will prevail. In other words, weapons that are specifically made against us, whether by human or divine activity, Satan targets us. When, when, when Israel, when they left Egypt, there was a target on their back. You and I, when we accept Jesus Christ, Satan puts a target on our back. The adversary, uh, the Bible says, looks for whom he may devour. I love what Eliot's commentary says. Satan is eyeing all the Christians in turn to see which he has the best chance of, not merely stalking forth vaguely to look for prey. In other words, Satan has targeted the weak spots in our lives to attack us because he knows that that's where we're the most vulnerable. Isaiah chapter 52, verse 12, it says, But you will not leave in haste or go in flight, for the Lord will go before you. The God of Israel will be your rear guard. So God promised Israel that he was going to be what guarded their weak, their vulnerable. And God promises for you and I in our places of weakness that he will be our rear guard. Satan is going to hit us where we're weak, but the Lord promises to be our rear guard. Step number three is that we're going to face multiple fronts. Look at our text again in Exodus 17, starting at verse 9. Moses said to Joshua, choose some of your men and go fight the Amalekites. Tomorrow I will stand on top of the hill with the staff of God in my hand. So Joshua fought the Amalekites as Moses had ordered, and Moses, Aaron, and Hur went to the top of the hill. As long as Moses held up his hands, the Israelites were winning, but whenever he lowered his hands, the Amalekites were winning. What is this, what is this saying? Moses says to Joshua, Joshua, I want you to go down there, and I want you to fight this battle. And I'm going to go up here on this hill... <laughs> out of the battle and I'm going to I'm going to you know I'm I'm going to use my staff and and uh and I'm going to be up there. You know multiple fronts is not is not a new thing um in battle in 1941 when the US entered into World War II when the Japanese bombed Pearl Harbor we were on two war fronts. We had uh a a, a European war front and an Asia Pacific war front. In the Asia-Pacific war front, that became nuclear. And the European war front was trying to keep um, um, those outside of the Allies from getting uh, nuclear capabilities. And victory would be needed on both fronts in order to win the war. And in the battle versus the Amalekites, that war was on two fronts. One of them was the front that Joshua was fighting, literally hand-to-hand -hand combat, and the other one was the one that Moses was fighting. 
So front number one, you've got Joshua and you've got Israel, and they have absolutely no battlefield experience whatsoever. None. Zero. And there's no time to train. This is going to happen right now. Imagine, though, if, if the Amalekites had come and said, hey, we want to have, we, instead of a fight, we'll have a make a brick build off. Okay, well, if we make bricks, and that's, the, that's how we're going to do the war. Joshua would have said to his people, guys, don't worry about it. We've got this. We've been training for years and years in Egypt. We, if there's anything we know how to do well, it's make bricks. But that's not what they did. They came at them, and there was an actual fight. But this is the first time that Israel's ever had to fight. And you say, but yeah, they just, they just came out of Egypt, and Pharaoh's armies have been destroyed. Yeah, but Israel didn't have to fight any of them. God fought all of that for them. Joshua has to actually take up his sword. I can imagine that the little uh, training session, you know, that might have happened where Joshua holds up a sword and says, this is a sword. <laughs> it's kind of like Lombardi. This is a football, okay? You got to get back to the basics because they were not a people that had any experience in battle. But there was Joshua right in the middle of the fight physically. And you might feel like you are in the middle of the physical fight over your family, the physical fight over your health, over your finances, over uh, your family, over your job, whatever it is. But the second front was the one that Moses was fighting. And Moses, uh, the Bible says, held up his, st his staff. Now, we might think, well, he was a shepherd, so it was a shepherd's staff. But, you know, it probably was not because the, the Egyptians thought that, sh that sheep were detestable. So Moses probably didn't have that staff, uh, that kind of a staff with him. Um, it, it could have been, maybe you think it was uh, a, a staff of royalty from when he grew up in Egypt. I doubt that that was the kind of staff. It probably was just a normal, everyday staff that was something that would be common for a person of his age. But remember what God said to him when he called him. He said to, to Moses, Moses, what is in your hand? And Moses said, a staff. And God said, I want you to take that staff and I want you to throw it down because you're going to see signs and wonders that I'm going to use with that staff. In fact, it became known as the staff of God. So this is a symbol of the power, the miraculous power of God. And Moses stands up there and he is holding this staff up over the battle a symbol of God's power. And you think, well, if God has that power, then what? why in the world does, does Joshua have to fight it? Because that's what God wanted them to do. He holds it up. Joshua's doing the fighting. And then they recognize that as his arms get tired and they come down, Aaron and her, they realize that there's a, a correlation that as his arms come down, the battle's being lost. But if his arms are up, the battle's being won. I'm sure this took a couple of times and maybe they even tested it out. You know, oh, they're losing. Oh, they're winning. You know, and they figured it out. And you think about holding your arms up like this for a while, holding something. You get tired real fast. And then somebody got a bright idea. Bring him a chair. Let him sit down, and then we'll hold his arms up. He's got the staff in his hands. We're going to hold his arms up. You know, some of us need an Aaron and a her in our life. 
We need somebody that when we're in the midst of the battle comes alongside of us and they hold our arms up and, and, and they are there to support us and see God bring about a victory in our lives. You know, our battle is not with flesh and blood, the Bible says. It's a spiritual battle. And God gives us spiritual tools. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 13, uh, Paul says that we should put on the full armor of God so when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. The armor consists of truth, righteousness, peace, and salvation. It, 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 part of it is the shield of faith, which extinguishes the flaming arrows of the evil one, and then the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And I want you to notice that the only thing that is protected in this this, this group of, of armor is in the front. None of it is protection in the back. God does not arm us so that we will turn from the battle and walk away from it. There is no turning back. We will be, uh, we will be attacked on multiple fronts, but there is still no turning back. It, it is a physical battle. It is a spiritual battle. And it's, it's going to come one thing right after the another. You think, oh, if we could just get through this one thing. I'm telling you what, the moment you get through that thing, there's another thing right there. You're gonna, sometimes there's going to be two things happening at one time. And you're going to say, Lord, how much can one person handle? And the answer is that with God and with Jesus' strength, I can do all things through Christ. Number four is that victory belongs to our God. Let's look back at Exodus 17 again, verse 13. So Joshua overcame the Amalekite army with the sword. They had, they had no experience. They had no experience whatsoever, and they overcame. They overcame the Amalekites. Then the Lord said to Moses, write this on a scroll as something to be remembered and make sure that Joshua hears it because I will completely blot out the name of Amalek from under heaven. Now Joshua didn't wipe them out, but gener several generations later, they were officially declared as a nation that had been completely removed from the earth. You know, Moses didn't win the battle alone. Joshua did not win the battle alone. Aaron and Hur, they were there to help. But God's power and Joseph's sword and, and Moses' staff and these helpers, they all work together. And I'm so glad that Jesus has told us he has overcome the world. He has told us that Satan's ultimate destination is the lake of fire. In Romans chapter 16, verse 20, the Apostle Paul says that the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. That's a powerful statement. In other words, the enemy is lost. 1 Samuel 17, verse 47, it says, The Lord saves not with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's. You, you, you are not out there all by yourself. You are not in this battle, feel it, and, and, and you don't have to win it on your own. In fact, Samuel says it's not sword, it's not spear, but it's the Lord who wins the battle. And that battle that you are in ultimately belongs to God. You might be looking for rest. You might feel like you're under attack in your weakest point, the place where you're the most defenseless, the, where you're the most vulnerable. And it's coming one right after the other. We've got a choice. 
we can go forward to Jesus or we can turn tail and run. And the truth of the matter is that there is no turning back. There is no victory going back to Egypt. God has called us out of Egypt. Say, what do you really mean when you say that? I mean God has called us out of a life of sin into the life of his son. And he's called us to a place. Moses and the children of Israel called it the promised land. Jesus said it's heaven. We're called out of our old life into a life with Jesus that one day will lead us to heaven. I want you to know that victory belongs to our God. You might say, but I don't have any experience. I want you to understand it's time to step forward into the battle. In just a second, we're going to sing this song called The Blessing. This is a a song that declares God's blessing over our lives, our family, our children, our children's children, even for generations. And this song is a song that that there's, there's such an anointing that comes with this song. And what I'm going to do is we're going to serve uh, the Lord's Supper. And there's not very many of us, so there's plenty of room. And I'm going to have Jamie. He's going to come and stand here in the middle. Thank you, Jamie. And I want you to come, and I want you to grab the elements. And then I'm just going to invite you to just come and, and sort of spread out here across the front. If you can stand, stand, great. If you can't, you know, you can sit in one of those front rows. Um, and we're just gonna, we're just gonna sing this song. And and what they're gonna do, and we're gonna join them if you know it, but but they're gonna sing it over us as a blessing. And then we're gonna conclude with a prayer. As and I'm gonna have Madison come and he's gonna pray over us a blessing. So would you come as they sing and you can grab your communion elements and find a place here at the front. I'm going to ask Madison to come and pray a prayer of blessing over our lives. I'm reminded of the cards that we filled out last week. The 136 audacious prayers. And I believe that as God fulfills what he's doing here, that these are going to be lots of these that are answered. Madison, would you pray over us? You know, I want us to I want us to just recognize the fact that this prayer that we just prayed was ordained of the Lord. The Lord said he commanded Moses, Joshua, and Aaron to pray this over his children. And he said, when you pray this prayer over them, it says, I will put my name on them. Literally. So when we say, the Lord bless you and keep you, it is a way we, you put the, literally put the Lord's name on yourself and on your family. And that is why when we walk out of this place, He walks away with us. Why? Because His name is on us. Because His blessing is more than just some word that is said over us. It is His presence. It is Him. His blessing. He is the blessing. He is the blessing. So I want to just pray that blessing over you again and say, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make His face shine upon you. 
The Lord lift up the light of his countenance upon you. The Lord give you his peace. The peace that this world cannot give. The peace that this world cannot take. May the peace of God be with you. And you are going out. And you are coming in. When you rise up, and when you go to bed, when you sit with your children, when you sit with your wife, and you when you walk on the street corners and you go to the malls and you go to your work, let that presence go with you throughout this year from January to February, March, April, May, June, July, August, September, October, November, December, every month of this year. May that blessing follow you. May that blessing pursue you. May that blessing be upon you wherever you go. So that wherever you will need God this, this year, God will show up for you and for me. Wherever you need Him to be, He will be that for you. May He be over your loved ones who are near and who are afar. If maybe they are in a different country, maybe they are in a different city, maybe they are in a different state, but let that presence, let that blessing be with them. And Father, we pray for all of these prayer requests that we dropped here literally last Sunday, Lord. Because there are people still trusting you for each one of these prayer requests. But you said that you will do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we can ever ask, think or imagine according to your power that is at work in us. So we believe, oh God, that because we have put all of this on you, your word says, casting your cares upon him for he cares for you and so we cast our cares on you and we know that you are taking care of us your word also says come to me all you who are heavy laden who are tired he said and you will give us rest so today we enter into our refidence we enter into our rest our rest in you knowing that you are taking care of the troubles knowing that you are taking care of the sickness knowing that you are taking care of our relationships our families our finances so we rest in you lord we choose to receive your peace a peace of heart knowing that god is in control knowing that god fights for us and we will just need to hold our peace so we hold our peace today lord and we watch you fight for us. We watch you fight for us this week. We watch you fight for us the month of February and all throughout this year and even into next year. You will fight for us. So thank you because this is the kind of God that you are to us. We trust you and we say we love you, Lord. Go with us now as we leave this place. Let your presence never leave us, never forsake us because we belong to you. And the church of God said, Amen. God bless you. Have a wonderful Sunday. Have a wonderful week. Have a wonderful new month that's coming up this week. Thank you.